By the time the 2016 presidential election rolled around, I was sick of political ads. I was sick of all the negativity. I was sick of all the, the, the politics. How many of you were just absolutely sick and tired of it by the time of the election? I was, I was sick of it by June of 2015. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous, wasn't it? It was crazy, just the amount of uh, negativity and the amount of, of uh, hatred. Uh, and, and here's what really bothered me. This is one of the things that really bugged me, was all of the quote-unquote fake news. You all know what fake news is? Do you all remember fake news? People would share things on Twitter, on social media, on Facebook, and all these sensationalistic headlines, these outrageous headlines, you know, this guy did this, this lady did that, and, you know, they're chopping the heads off of goats and sacrificing them to Satan. It's like, what is going on? What, what is, this is crazy. All of these fake news headlines, maybe you shared some of them. Uh, maybe you were like, oh, goodness gracious, look what they did, and, and you shared it on Facebook. And, we, and there were so many undocumented news stories, and it became known as fake news. Well, we all know what fake news is, right? I mean, fake news is something that maybe sounds a little too good to be true, or fake news is something that is, isn't real, uh, but we just didn't have the time or didn't take the time to investigate it. Uh, and, and, and we all fall victim to fake news from time to time. Fake news, and, and we've heard of it before, fake news such as, you know, Elvis sightings. You know, Elvis is alive, right? And so it's funny, more people believe that Elvis is alive than Jesus is alive. It's terrible. Um, fake news like Bigfoot sightings, you know, the Sasquatch. Uh, fake news like, you know, the Cubs are going to win another World Series. Um, oh, now we're awake. <laughs> kidding, Cubs fans, kidding, go Sox. Um, but uh, when it comes to fake news, I think that we have to be on guard. We have to be uh, on guard against fake news. Now, one of the things that we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks is uh, this new sermon series starting today called Fake News and Alternative Facts. Now, I know, let's get political, right? No, it has nothing to do with politics. It has nothing to do with the uh, presidential election. It has nothing to do with politics. It's all about the fake news and alternative facts that people tend to believe about God, about Jesus, about the church, about salvation. And so we're going to talk for the next four weeks about fake news and alternative facts. We're going to talk about some of the things that people believe, that maybe even you believe, uh, about the church, about Jesus, about salvation, about God. And you may have some uh, misconceived notions about who God is or what salvation's all about or, or what the church is supposed to be like. And so we're going to talk about those things for the next four weeks. And so I want to encourage you, I want to invite you to come back uh, next Sunday uh, at our regular worship times of 9, 30, and 11 and join us again uh, right here for, these, uh, for the continuing series, Fake News and Alternative Facts. Now for today, we're going to look at this fake news that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. That's fake news. Because I believe with all my heart that Jesus really did rise from the dead on Easter Sunday morning. That Jesus is alive. I believe that wholeheartedly. In fact, I'm willing to stake my life on it. And I'm not the only one. I believe that it is fake news to say that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. That is fake news. 
And instead of talking about fake news today, I want to talk about good news. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to look at a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you didn't bring your Bible, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It looks like this. And Matthew chapter 28 is on page 706 of that Bible. Uh, Or if you have your favorite uh, Bible app on your smartphone or tablet, feel free to use that as well. Uh, So we're in Matthew 28. Before we get to the story of the resurrection, because we're going to talk about how Jesus rose from the dead, before we talk about that, I want to talk about, for just a few minutes, about what happened leading up to Jesus' resurrection. I want to talk about his crucifixion. I want to talk about the flogging that he endured for our sake. Now, there are people who believe that Jesus didn't really die, that when he went to the cross, that he didn't really die on the cross. It's called the swoon theory, that Jesus didn't really die, but rather he just kind of swooned, and and he kind of passed out, and when they laid him in the tomb, the coolness of the tomb revived him. But he never really died, and so he couldn't have risen from the dead if he never really died. But, But you see, the Romans who executed Jesus were masters at execution. They were masters at killing you. And not in a pleasant way. They were masters at torture and death. So Jesus was arrested. Uh, He was uh, arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And they took him uh, to a trial. And on the way to the trial, they were beating him. They punched him in the face. They spit on him. They mocked him. They insulted him. This is Jesus. I mean, Jesus, who never sinned in any way. This is Jesus who brought the love of God to humanity. This is Jesus who was the perfect son of God. Never hurt anyone. Raised the dead, healed the sick. Made the lame to walk, the blind to see. And yet here they are, beating him, mocking him, spitting upon him. As though he were some kind of criminal. And so Jesus is taken to this trial and he is, he is found guilty. He is convicted of blasphemy and, and they want to execute him. And so they turn him over to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. And, and Pilate finds him guilty and, and he orders him to be flogged. Now floggings in those days, most people didn't survive that. Let alone make it all the way to the cross for crucifixion. Because what they would do when they flogged you is they would use a cat o' nine tails. A cat of nine tails. Uh, It had nine little whips on it. And in these whips were bits of uh, sharpened bone that they would embed in these whips. And and small metal balls that they would embed in these whips. And the purpose of the cat of nine tails, the purpose of the flogging, was that when it whipped you, it was to grab onto your flesh in your back or in your front. It was to grab onto your flesh and tear it off to tear the skin off of your back or to tear the skin off of your chest. And they would do this 39 times. Like I said, most people didn't even survive that. And yet Jesus endured it for our sakes. Jesus suffered for you and for me, for our sins. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. Jesus shed his blood in the flogging and in the crucifixion for our sins forgiveness. Jesus endures the flogging and he survives the flogging. Even though his back would have been stripped bare, uh, his 
muscles and his bones and his organs would have been exposed. And then they, they make him carry his own instrument of death to his place of execution. He has to carry the cross to the hill of the skull where they're going to crucify him. And so they take Jesus uh, and he's carrying the cross through the streets of Jerusalem and he, he falls over and they make someone else carry his cross because he's too weak from this flogging to be able to carry his own cross. And they take him to the place where they're going to crucify him. And when they crucified you, they would take five to seven inch nails and they would drive them through your wrists and through your feet. And they would nail you to the cross. And so Jesus is nailed to the cross and they lift it up and they put him into place. He dies on the cross. And he was really dead. In fact, in Mark 14, uh, 15, 44, and 45, uh, we see that a Roman centurion reported to Pilate that Jesus had died. It was the Roman centurion's testimony that Jesus was dead, completely. His brain stopped, uh, the synapses in his brain stopped firing, the blood in his heart stopped beating. Jesus was dead. And they buried him in a borrowed tomb. And they laid him in the tomb on Friday afternoon after six hours of writhing in agony and excruciating pain. It's interesting about that word excruciating. It literally means out of the cross. It was a word that they invented. They had to invent a new word to describe the pain of crucifixion. Crucifixion was so painful that they didn't have a word that would describe it, that could fully describe the pain. So they created a new one, excruciating. Have you ever been in excruciating pain? We'll talk about how we have this excru- we'll have a toothache, right? And the pain is excruciating. Have you ever had that kind of a toothache? It's terrible. And you just want to get to the dentist and yank the thing out. I don't care what you have to do. Just stop this excruciating pain. Or if you've broken a bone... I've never broken a bone, but I hear it's excruciating. And and so if you've broken a bone and you think, oh, this pain is excruciating, I just want it to be fixed. Or if you've stepped on a Lego in the middle of the night, (laughs) it's excruciating. No. It's painful, but it's not excruciating. Jesus went through excruciating pain because it was the pain that came out of the cross. And he did it for us. And so they buried him on Friday. They buried him on Friday. And in the Jewish mind, in the Jewish calendar, the Jewish uh, system of time, if you were buried uh, on a Friday, uh, if you were buried for part of a day, that constituted the entire day. So day one, Jesus is buried. Day two, Jesus is in the ground still, Saturday. And then on Sunday, Jesus is still in the grave until early Sunday morning. And we read the story in Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. They had placed a large stone in a groove in front of the tomb where Jesus was to make sure he didn't come out. Didn't stop the angel. 
His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay and then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So Jesus' two women, Mary uh, Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and John, come to Jesus, uh, come to anoint his body, and they come to find Jesus, only they find that Jesus isn't there. He has been raised from the dead, according to the angel. He is alive. Where are the disciples? They're not there. You know, the disciples were, hang- were hiding out. They were scared about what was going to happen to them, that they may suffer the same fate as Jesus, that they might be crucified for being associated with him. So they're hiding out. But it should not have come to any surprise to them that Jesus had died and that he rose again. Because he told them on four different occasions that he was going to die and that he was going to be raised back to life. Look at this, Matthew 16, 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Matthew 17, 22. 2 and 23 says this, when they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Matthew 20, 18 and 19 says this, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. And then Matthew 26, 31 and 32, this is the fourth time Jesus predicts his death and resurrection. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Four times Jesus says, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. I'm going to rise again. And it should not have come as any surprise to the disciples to hear the news that Jesus had risen from the dead. And yet they're hiding. They're terrified. They're afraid of the authorities. They're afraid of the Romans. It seems that either they didn't believe that Jesus was going to rise from the dead or they completely forgot about it. Look at verses 11 through 15. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money. They bribed the soldiers to tell some fake news telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. Now, why would they have to bribe them with a large sum of money? Because if the governor found out that his centurions, that his uh, soldiers had allowed the disciples to steal the body, they would have been crucified. And you better believe it better be worth my while if I'm going to tell this lie and I'm going to risk my own life for a lie. We'll get to that in just a second. 
Verse 14, if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Again, we have the first instance of fake news. Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. His disciples stole the body. Well, how did they get past the guards? How did they move the stone? Uh, How did they hide Jesus' body after uh, he had been raised? Or after they said he had been raised? It's fake news. And the guards have to be bribed to tell a lie. Flip over to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to look at this real fast. It's on page 815 of the Black Bible in the chair in front of you. Page 815. And we're looking at 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 3. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, And then to the twelve, after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So you've got uh, these witnesses who have seen Jesus raised from the dead. Now, it's interesting. When you think about uh, testimony, when you think about uh, who who would you believe uh, when it comes to somebody's testimony, in a court of law, If one person gets up and says, I saw him do it, well, it's his word against the other guy's word. And it's kind of a he said, he said kind of thing. You don't know who to believe. Now, if three people say, we saw him do it, well, then that may be a little more valid when it comes to testimony. And we see here that Peter saw Jesus alive. His own brother James saw him alive, even though James did not believe in him as the Messiah when Jesus was alive before he was crucified. But after he was raised from the dead, James, his own brother, put his faith in him and became the leader at the church at Jerusalem. And not only that, but he appears to the disciples. Remember, doubting Thomas? Thomas says, unless I put my fingers in his his hands or my hand in his side, I will not believe it. And then he appears to the apostles, he appears to Paul. But the interesting thing to me is that Jesus appeared to more than 500 people at the same time. Now imagine, you got three people say, I saw him do it. Oh, and we're going to call 500 more witnesses. The jury says, what? We got to sit here through 500 witnesses? But if you had 500 people who all said, yes, we saw it, we saw it, we saw it. If you had 500 people who said, we saw Jesus alive, we saw Jesus alive, we saw Jesus alive, wouldn't you believe it? If 500 people testified that something happened, they can't all be hallucinating and they can't all be in on the same conspiracy. It really happened. Jesus was really alive. There's another way I know that Jesus really raised back to life, that Jesus was raised back to life. And that's because the disciples died. That may sound strange, but Chuck Colson said that when he was part of Watergate and he went to prison for Watergate, that uh, a lot of the, the, his co-conspirators in the Watergate scandal, uh, they, they um, gave up the lie. They were going to lie about it. And then when they were offered a chance to get a a lighter sentence, they gave up the lie and they testified against the administration. The disciples never gave it up. 
See, the disciples went to their own torturous deaths, their own painful, excruciating deaths. Some of them were crucified. And then there was John, the only one who survived to old age, and he was imprisoned on the island of Patmos. You see, it's very interesting to me that you have these disciples who go to their deaths, their own painful deaths, saying, nope, we saw him alive. You see, you may be willing to die. Uh, You may be willing to die for the truth, but no one's going to die for a lie. If you're faced with torture and death, you're going to say, nope, totally made it up. Sorry, (laughs) Uh, let me go. But the disciples never gave it up. The disciples died holding to the truth, to the truth that Jesus was alive. Real quick, verse, uh, look at verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Jesus really is alive. And because Jesus is alive, because of Easter Sunday, We know that everything is different. You see, what we say around here is that Easter changes everything. I mean, it's got to change things. If there is a man who claimed to be the Son of God and he rose from the dead and he is alive forever and ever and ever and he is coming back, that changes things. Everything changes because of Easter. And I want to share with you a couple of things that, that Easter changes. First of all, Easter changes everything about God. Easter changes everything about God. You see, you may have this idea about God that God is out to get you, or God is out to, to punish you, or, or God is out to smite you. Any of you ever feel that way? Well, I'm telling you here, right now, that that's not truth. That's fake news. Oh, God is out to get you. He's out to get you into heaven. See, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ by believing in him and repenting of your sins and confessing your faith and getting baptized, God will wash away your sins. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He will purify for you from all wickedness and he will give you the promise and the hope of eternal life. You will spend eternity in heaven with God. And that's not fake news. That's good news. Easter changes everything about God, our perspective of him, our understanding of him. Easter not only changes everything about God, Easter changes everything about hope. You see, when we were dead in our sins, we were hopeless. We had no hope. The the only thing for us when we die is, is separation from God and hell. And that's no hope. But because Jesus rose from the dead, as Paul says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then then we are to be pitied because we have no hope. But we do have hope because Jesus did rise from the dead. Jesus is alive forever and ever. And he is coming back to take us home to be with him. That is our hope. And we have hope because of Jesus. Now, if I were to ask you, are you going to go to heaven? You may say, well, I, I hope so. Well, see, that's not hope. That's a wish. 
We have hope in Jesus. The biblical definition of hope is a confident expectation that something is going to happen. A confident expectation of a true reality. And the true reality is is that those who belong to Jesus belong to him forever and will spend forever with him in heaven. That is the truth. That is not fake news. That is good news. Easter changes everything about God. Easter changes everything about hope. And Easter changes everything about life. See, Easter changes everything about the way that we live. We no longer live lives of of fear. We no longer live lives of dread. We no longer live lives of anxiety. We no longer live lives that have no purpose. Rather, because Jesus is alive and because Easter changes everything, Easter changes everything about our lives. For the reason that we live, the reason that we do what we do, the reason that we go to church, the reason that we go to work, the reason that we raise our families, the reason that we do anything is because Easter changes everything. And so, like I said, you don't have to be a slave to fear anymore. You may feel like you're a slave to sin or addictions. You may feel like you're a slave uh, to your habits. You may feel like you're a slave uh, in your job. You may feel like you're a slave in your homes. You are not a slave anymore. No, the Bible says that when you belong to Jesus, you belong to his family and he makes you a child of God. You don't have to be a slave to fear. You don't have to be a slave to addictions. You don't have to be a slave to your habits. You don't have to be a slave to your sin anymore. Jesus came to set you free. And that's not fake news. That's good news. And so I want to encourage you today to come back for these next three weeks. Just give it a shot for three weeks. Come back and check it out. And hear more about these fake news and alternative facts as we study what the Bible really says about the truth of Jesus Christ and salvation and his church. I want to encourage you to come back. And when we discover the good news instead of the fake news, it changes everything. Because Easter changes everything and that's not fake news that's good news let's pray heavenly father we do thank you for the good news that jesus is alive that he has been raised from the dead and he lives forever with you and lord because of his sacrifice because he was willing to die on the cross for our sins that we can live forever with you as well thank you that easter changes everything that it gives us hope beyond the grave. It gives us life eternal. It changes our understanding of even who you are. You are not in heaven hating us, despising us, wanting to be far away from us. No, Father God, you want to be near to us. So I pray for my friends here today who are wrestling with who you are. And I pray that they'll see you through the eyes, through the lens of Easter. That you loved the world so much that you sent Jesus to be our Savior, to be our Lord, to be our friend. Thank you for calling us your children. For it is by your grace that you call us child. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Easter. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.